HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. In a nice way. Yeah. yeah, so what we do is we try to infuse like our local ingredients with the international okay. ingredients. So, so like give me an a, example. Give me a good example. Exactly. Yeah. Like a good example, yeah. I can make like a nice beef tornado steak. Okay. Yeah. So I can but the beef now I can coat it probably with a nicely marinated okay. stuff. I can probably marinate it and coat it with a pumpkin seed. Okay. Pumpkin seed is oh. purely oh, wow. yeah, you see like the way you probably like do like a hub roasted yeah. uh, steak yes, or exactly. whatever. Yeah. So, so then that's your take on Exactly. Hi everyone, you're listening to Item 13 Podcast and I'm your host, Yom Tego. Every week, we'll delve into the world of African food, including chefs, curators and bloggers. I hope you enjoy it. This week, I speak to chef Sablon Rubia, who describes culinary arts as his passion first and profession second. He has always been fascinated by the art of cooking and has come to believe in the power of food to bring people of all walks of life together. He says he's been privileged throughout his career, attending the best culinary school in Kenya and having his fair share of five-star hotel experiences. Chef Rubia has local Kenyan and international hotel experience, traveled to different continents, and worked with some of the best celebrity chefs in the world. I met Chef Rubia while he was visiting Accra. We not only spent time talking about his work in Kenya and abroad, but he took some time in the kitchen to teach me some Kenyan favorites, including chapati and pilau, which is a fragrant East African rice pilaf. Highlights of our kitchen time are on the Item 13 podcast Instagram page. Now here's our conversation. So welcome to the show, Chef Rubia. I'm happy to speak to you. Excited for you to join us for thank Item you. 13. Thank you for the interview. And welcome to Ghana, actually. Welcome thank you to very Accra. much. Thank you. Thank you How so much. How are you finding it so far? So far, so good. I love the Ghanaian people. Okay. We are friendly and all that. The only problem is the heat. <laughs> Too much heat. The weather is... Uh, Little bit but this tricky. is supposed to be a cooler time of the year for us, I think. Uh, this, this is nothing cooler compared <laughs> to where I come from. This is okay. like extreme. Uh, I'm sure you've tried our food already, right? What, yes. what do you think? I know my Kenyan friends don't like spice, so I'm guessing it's, it's the same. I think uh, the food is okay. The only problem is the pepper. I uh. think you guys are overdoing the pepper. But besides that, I think it's good. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. All right, good. So today yeah. we're going to talk a lot about you, the uh-huh. work you do in Nairobi. Yep. Um, and then, broadly speaking, African food, Afrofusion. Yes. Um, and the work that you are doing to bring African food to a global platform. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. Okay, so let's start with you. Tell uh-huh. us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, uh-huh. and sort of your influences. Uh, okay, so my full names are Rubia Zablon, but most people know me as uh, Chef Rubia. That's okay. my brand name. I was born in Kenya, place called Mombasa, town called Mombasa, and then after some time, we relocated to Nairobi when I was like eight, nine years old. Okay. So that's, I would say I grew up mostly in Nairobi. So my inspiration of being a chef, I got it from my father. My father is a, was a chef. He's still a oh, chef. Oh, so it's in the Yeah, so like thing. father, like son kind of a thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I used to see him when I was in primary and high school. Okay. He used to come. Sometimes we like, say, ah, let me spoil my family. He will cook like uh, oriental rice. Okay. Rice, pineapples, sultanas and stuff. I'm like, hmm, how, how do you think, how do you like know exactly what to put? and how to put the amount and stuff. Yeah. So the interest began to come. Okay. So one day we'll come also fix burgers and I'm like, how do you make the burgers? So that all the mismits stick together through observing my father's footsteps and all that he's been doing, the amazing uh, food that he's been making for us. I, I developed an interest in uh, food. Okay. But it, it wasn't like in my mind to do it as a profession. Okay. I just love good food and stuff. I was a guame in a way from a very long time yeah. so immediately after high school I wanted to study business administration okay that was my make focus. money <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah that was my main focus okay but in the midst all the time I was at home waiting to be admitted to university and stuff one of my father was a chef he usually used to come at home and visit huh? so he was like ah, why are you staying at home doing nothing you can't come I give you something to be doing instead of just sitting around and then once your papers come, now you can go study whatever you want to study. So he took me up as an apprentice in the kitchen. So it, I basically started from scratch, from steward, yeah? washing utensils, you know, being sent to bring equipments and uh, ingredients and stuff. That's how I started up. I did that for like a month. And then uh, they told me, you want more knowledge? We can switch you from the department to maybe a cook in the kitchen where you'll be probably chopping, chopping stuff and everything. And that's how I progressed, yeah? So later, my, later as I progressed after like six months down the line, I felt like, ah, I think this is not a bad thing to do. So for the six months, you were still waiting for your papers? Exactly, okay. for my paper to arrive. Yeah? Okay. So I was like, I don't, I think it's a good thing to do because I, I think I began to love what I was doing. I was meeting like different people. I was doing magic on the place, you know. No, I, I could understand what my yeah. father was doing, you know. So, uh, when the papers came, I had a choice of either to stop whatever I was doing, go to university, do my BA degree, or to proceed with my with my apprentice for like six more months for one year, and yeah. then after I'm done with the one year, I go to culinary school okay. and further my studies. Okay. So I decided, you know what, I think I'll uh, prefer to stick to food. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And your dad, well, because he was a chef, I'm sure that was an easy decision to make because I think a lot of African parents would rather you do something that they think will give you money being Precisely. a doctor or a business person just exactly. going to cook. Yeah. So I think what actually motivated me is just what you said. Um, I saw my father like brought our family, right. give us, gave us all everything that we will need, all by being a chef. So okay. I decided, ah, you know what, I think I can pick it up from where my father... Right. Is that right now, yeah? And probably take it even more further, take it a notch 
higher than okay. you know do the things that right. probably he didn't do. Okay, so where yeah. did you go to culinary school? I I went to a college in Kenya. Okay. Well known for the best culinary school. Okay. Kenya. It's called Kenya Tali College. Mm-hmm. So I went and did my two years culinary and okay. studies. So we cover pastries and all the other things. Oh, so you do the wide range of just exactly. not just cooking, but not just also cooking. baking and it's pastries. Everything because it's a theory and practical. Okay. So it's thorough because it's for two years. Huh? So it's thorough, thorough as in very, very deep. Yeah? Right. So after that, I went for my intern in uh, Mombasa still, in a place called Mombasa Beach. And then I came back to Nairobi. I was looking for employment. I was uh, able to pitch employment for a few hotels, five-star hotels, like couple, like three, four places I've done. Okay. And then later, I got an opportunity to go to the U.S., Miami, Florida, to work uh, in a cruise ship. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. One of those, um, Royal Caribbean. Celebrity those, cruise line. Yeah. It's all under the Royal Caribbean. Right. Oh, nice. So yeah. where, where did you cruise to uh, your cruise ships? Uh, uh, in most parts of the world. The good thing about the job, yeah, you get to travel a lot. You yeah. get to meet a lot of people. Oh, that's you, awesome. This time, maybe for like three, four months, you're okay. sailing in uh, Europe. The next four months, you're sailing in the U.S. Yeah. The next ones you're sailing in the Caribbean. Caribbean yeah. Exactly. So you're always like moving around and stuff. Oh my goodness! In different countries, meeting different people and learning also because you get to interact. Do you ever get seasick or you don't feel, you don't feel that in a big in a big ship? Huh? Yeah, you do. You do actually because oh, you know okay. sometimes, huh, The ship goes in deep waters. Oh. So deep water, waters, of course, the waves are right. quite yeah. strong. Yeah? So you feel it. But the good thing, they normally have. Uh, Seasick pills. Huh? Okay. So we have can... like dispensers <laughs> everywhere, corridors oh, and stuff. Actually, and even for the passengers also. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. so yeah, in, in case you feel you're feeling funny, you feel like you want to throw up or something, just go grab the pill yeah. and then take it and subside. So what was it like cooking on the cruise ship? Were you able to influence some of the way food was cooked in terms of bringing your own Kenyan flavor to it? Or was it like there's a set menu and this is what we are cooking and you were doing it more for the experience and for learning rather than oh this is my time to throw in my um, African flavor a little bit of no, in terms of creativity and uh, adding on the ideas it wasn't there because okay. it was like a fixed menu right fixed standards you have to operate with the right yeah. exactly mm-hmm. with whatever is supposed to be okay. there so it was it was kind of limiting yeah in terms of creativity okay. and uh, that is but but it was kind of good also I was learning right. their own concepts and ideas in terms of presentation in terms of finesse mm-hmm. and in terms of flavors and taste okay. as a professional chef but later now on was there that's one of the reasons I decided to like uh, leave cruise ship and uh, come focus on a few things because okay. it was restricting in a way right. I, I felt like I wasn't implementing my ideas I was kind of locked yeah, so then let's talk about that. When you left the cruise ship, how what, what was the bridge between doing cruise ship and then starting Chef Ubia's Kitchen, which is your big baby, if you will? Uh, it, it was hard, actually, because I, when I left cruise ship, I I think I'd, uh, I didn't have a way forward of exactly okay. what I wanted to do. So I just came home, I'm like, I know what, I'm fed up with this cruise ship life. Let me go back home and think what I can do. So when I was at home, huh? I'm there now planning, like, okay, now I'm applying for jobs and stuff. I'm getting invites for interviews and, and even offers. But now the offers, you see, they're not, they're not up to whatever I was expecting. And I'm like, you know what, this offer that I'm given, if I put my experience, knowledge, and skills, and I have a plan 
I can actually make the money that I've been paid in one month. I can make oh, it in a day. Okay. Yeah. So so that, that's what motivated uh, okay. the whole idea of Chef Abel's yeah. Kitchen. So I decided, so I sat down, I sat down by myself and I said, let me come up with a plan. So what's the plan for what? now? Probably I can do this and this and this and this. And now the like, Chef Rubia came through, yeah. gradually opened up my pages and uh, engaged people. The reception, of course, for the start, it was in, right, it was hesitant, yeah. yeah? But as people, exactly, time, yeah. yeah. But as it did more functions and stuff and people will see like this guy and his ideas actually cutting across many people and it's working out. Now that's when the reception all changed. Guys started accepting it, mm-hmm. and I was making it by getting events yeah. and uh, by paying my bills. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, so I understand that your focus is international gourmet cuisine. Yep. We'll get into that and how you do the fusion, but let's start with native Kenyan food, right? Uh-huh. So for people that are listening that are not familiar with Kenyan food, mm-hmm. what would you describe, how would you describe Kenyan food to them? Like, what are their staples? Like, I know from my Kenyan friends uh-huh. that, you know, there's ugali, mm-hmm. uh, chapati, nyamachoma, <laughs> exactly. Kachumbari. Uh-huh. So, let's let's talk to the audience here about what Kenyan food is like, because I suspect most of the people listening are, at least for now, mostly uh-huh. West Africans. Yeah. So, they are familiar with Ghanaian, Nigerian food, but not necessarily Kenya, East, African East African food or African. Kenyan food. So, we mentioned ugali, for example, as a staple. For me, it reminds me of banku, right? So it's a, it's a cornmeal. Cornmeal, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why don't you, you, you can explain it better. Probably. Uh, basically, the yeah. food culture in Kenya is quite diverse, mm-hmm. as because we like forty-two different tribes in Kenya. Oh, yeah. So you can imagine in each and every tribe, yeah, right. they have their own food culture. So if you take all those food cultures and try to merge them up, because you have so many varieties, yeah. But simply, the most like our staple food, like what you said, it's ugali, and uh, depending on which country of uh, Kenya you come from, other like from the coastal parts, they like anything to do with rice. From like our pilau, it's a version of jollof rice. Yes. So pilau (laughs) to biryani to anything to do with rice. And you guys also have. uh, the Indian influence, right? Because chapati is more like naan bread for the Indians. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I remember when I lived in South Africa, one of my close Kenyan friends, her mom came to visit and she made the best, best chapati, chapati yeah. homemade chapati. Like, absolutely. Uh-huh. I think you have to teach me that before, before no, you leave. No problem, no problem. <laughs> so I think, I think the reason could be, uh, you know, during the colonial period and stuff, right. yeah? Mombasa was a port which was liked by mostly Indians okay. and Arabs, yeah? Because, uh, you know, the shipping of spices and stuff, that's where they yeah, have the port. Okay. So through that, I think uh, the locals infuse their food culture, and even not even food culture alone, even language. Okay. I find like Swahili is more of Arabic in terms of a few words oh, and stuff. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, like uh, in Swahili, if you say, if someone wants to say like, hi, say, Aslam alaikum, yeah? It's no really yeah, true, true. I've that's, never never heard of that. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. So it was like uh, a few things the locals picked from uh, the Arabic, right. and then they oh. uh, they turned them into their own. Yeah? Same thing in terms of the, the designs of houses, in terms of their dress code and all okay. that, kanzus and the oh, hijab oh, and all that. Right. That is right. And also yeah, now the actually, food culture. Yeah, I actually never thought about that. But yeah, I always wondered about the Indian influences with the curries and the chapatis and all that mm, stuff. Yeah. Okay. 
So let's go back then to what you do with Chef Rubia's Kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, how do you come up with, we talked about the fact that you really like Afrofusion. You yeah. also do a lot of international gourmet. Yeah. How do you come up with the flavors and the menu for your what you do with Chef Rubia? Uh-huh. And how do you think intentionally about including local cuisine and flavors to the food that you, you make? So basically what I normally do, I... I like our food culture, our African, no, not, not Kenyan only, but our f- African food culture. Right. And I think it's not proper, it doesn't have like the proper platform for it to be accepted right. and, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. So what we normally do as chefs, as professional chefs, yeah, we try to bring it out for the world to see. But, you know, you can't bring out everything. Like, you, I can't make, like, uh, offers yeah, exactly. and, and give uh, <laughs> exactly, people to right? try. So you need to think about how you present and, it in a in way. In a nice that, way. Yeah. yeah, so what we do is we try to infuse, like, our local ingredients with the international okay. ingredients. So, so like give me a, an example. Give me a good example. Exactly, yeah. Like, a good example, yeah. I can make, like, a nice beef tornado stick. Okay. Yeah? So I can... But the beef now, I can coat it probably with a nicely marinated okay. stuff. I can probably marinate it and coat it with a pumpkin seeds. Okay. Pumpkin seeds oh. purely. Oh, wow. Yeah, you see, like the way you probably like do like a hub roasted yeah. uh, steak yes, or exactly. whatever. Yeah. So, so then that's your take on Exactly. Yeah. So I can do it with the uh, pumpkins. Okay. And then for the sauce, it can be African. Yeah. It can be like derived from even mafe, anything yeah. or Swahili okay. sauce. And then okay. for the starch. I can actually do like a plantain, but I do like your. Most so I'll ask you that when you finish. Ah, you, you know, most people like uh, eat plantain when they boil, roast, or that's yeah. But you can't. So we, as a chef, we try to be creative. Okay. So you can also pr- probably serve with like a croquet. Most people eat oh, croquets yeah. of potatoes, but not so make a croquet of plantain. Yeah. So you speak of plantain, and, and also it takes me back to my East African friends who always have this discussion, this discussion about plantain versus banana when we talk uh-huh. about matoke. Right? Yeah, matoke. So I always have this argument with them that matoke is actually plantain and it's not banana. So maybe you can set the record straight here. Okay. <laughs> is it banana or is it plantain? <laughs> no, I think I think. From where I come from, there are two different things. Okay. Because plantain is what you guys have, right. sweet and yes. stuff. Like and my talk exactly starch, yeah. And my talk is totally a different thing. Interesting. So actually, like, you know, my talk is, uh, it's, it's like, uh, what, what can I say? It's a plant on its own. Interesting. So yeah. it's not plantain. Yeah? It's not it's plantain. It's like, oh, It's not plantain, yeah. Okay, so I so guess I've lost that argument. <laughs> So there are two different Very things. Interesting. I always argued back that it was no, it was plantain. No, it was plantain. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I was actually going to ask you also, uh-huh. um, what are Kenyans' reactions to your fusion of local food with international food? Because there are people that have different reactions to Afrofusion, definitely, right? There are people definitely. that think, don't mess with our authentic food, like keep yeah. it as it is. If other people won't try, then it's their loss. Like, uh-huh. why are we trying to? make it palatable to a different audience, they yeah. should sort of change their palate to us to and vice versa. What, what are your thoughts on that? Or do you, do, do, Afri- do Kenyans have a strong reaction to that? Because I know on West African social media platforms, mm-hmm. when we see food bloggers do crazy things with yeah. what we are familiar with, you'll find a lot of people getting upset about it. But I don't mm-hmm. know if you have the same reaction. No, no, no. In Kenya, actually, it's uh, not so much. Okay. People embrace the idea. Because, you know, I think most people are used to eating um, our local food yeah. in certain ways. You know, if it's 
matoke right. example you have to stew it roast it or fry it or something you know so when when they see you're changing the same same food that they used to into something else that's much more better and acceptable yeah. not only to them but also to people outside our country yeah? they feel like uh, they appreciate yeah i agree yeah, they appreciate so most i get a, i get a lot of support in terms because i do like uh, pop up dinners once right, in a while yeah. where the theme is actually afrofusion basically okay. i infuse our local foods yeah. the international mm. food and the reception is good okay yeah people appreciate it good 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 yeah That's good for you so you speaking of pop ups that you do in um in Nairobi yeah. how have you grown and then you also spoke earlier about um a slow start and then but now people are more accepting and are aware of what you're doing how have you grown your client base from when you started to now what are the sort of practical things that you do so if someone has a food business mm-hmm. what are the things they should think about in terms of getting new clients and growing that client base and making them loyal customers um i think first of all you have like a niche of who your oh, clientele good, yeah. yeah who your clientele target is so once you have that it will be easy for you to drive whatever mm-hmm. your ideas want to drive because you can't go sell uh you no know, guame fine dining <laughs> ideas to average yeah. people who okay. don't understand the yeah. concept so i think first you need to have like a cutting point okay. this is who my target clientele are and this is a service that think is going to work for them and then push it okay. but like uh, before i came to that i did a lot of I tried a lot of businesses before i used to do catering like you no know, weddings right. and <laughs> parties and all that but i didn't i didn't like it because yeah. you know it's demanding and by the end of the day it's flooded with so many people because you know like i said food bloggers is youtube people go yeah. to youtube do this and then you want to so you find you're competing with uh people on a level that you're not supposed to be there because I'm a professional chef. Okay. Probably you might right. be, you know, you might be passionate about food but that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that okay. motivated me to like change my ways of mm. thinking and try to be think more smart yeah. and you know, like another thing. Okay. And then um what do you enjoy most about running Chef Libia's kitchen? You just talked about, you know, moving away from catering and all of that to focusing exclusively yeah. on that. So what do you enjoy most and then also maybe what about it don't you enjoy as much uh what I enjoy most first is uh the the fact that i bring people from different walks of life okay. yeah. for, you know whether from the US or whatever on the same table to come and have an experience of our food and uh which is infused by the international food that's the most thing I like about my job and also you know meeting people I meet mm-hmm. different people and interact through that networking and all that so life is much more easier because I know I have a networking gun I can talk to in case of anything and life will be easier but the thing that I don't like about it <laughs> dealing with people <laughs> yeah it's a two-sided coin right yeah, so you yeah. enjoy interacting it's, with people but yeah. also Dealing with people in the case that um, you know people are different with different backgrounds, beliefs, and all that professions. Yeah. So sometimes you might find clients who are so <laughs> demanding, you know, who wants to control right. you, you know, that kind of a thing. That's okay. the only thing. But okay. since we've been there before, I've dealt with so many people. Yeah. I know how to handle okay. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. I think this is a good place to take a short break, and yeah. then when we come back. 
We'll dive more into the topic of running a food business in Kenya, what that landscape is like, some of what you've done with culinary consultations, yeah. and then more talk on application. So we'll be right back, guys. Cool, guys. Okay, I'll have it on my resume. That okay, so welcome back from the break. Thank you. Um, so now we'll delve specifically into what it's like to run a food business in Nairobi specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with talking about the challenges in running your chef UBS kitchen in Nairobi. Like when I speak to Ghanaian food entrepreneurs, whether they are chefs doing their own thing or they own a restaurant, yeah. like a big issue in, in Accra and even in Nigeria also, Lagos, is, uh-huh. is the talent, the people. Yeah. Um, we have problems with retention, with people's attitudes, etc. And I don't know if that translates also to the East. So when you think about running your business. You did mention that a little bit earlier when you talked about dealing with people. Yeah. And maybe if you stop and think, like, what are the top three things that you find most challenging about running your business that, that may or may not be specific to Nairobi or to Kenya? But uh-huh. uh, I think to, to narrow it down to three things, huh? I think the first one will be getting people to believe into your ideas. Okay. You know, yeah. you, might, you might have a good idea. But you know, no, you can't tell if it's a good idea until you let it out. People try it and see, and then they give you feedback, and then that's will come out. So that's, I think, that's a challenge because you know most people are not exploitative in terms of uh, new things, especially when it comes to food. If you're like, for example, yourself, you're used to pepper. <laughs> I give you food without pepper, and that's. I would say that that is true. <laughs> Exactly. So even when I was telling her my friend's mom who made chapati for us, she also made just for me mm-hmm. like a small pepper on thing the side, on the side. That's what you do. You do chapati, yeah. <laughs> I can do my chapati because she knows I, I like spicy stuff. Yeah, so, so yeah. it's it's probably we have a plan. People accepting it, of course, it will take time. Right. But if you think you have the right plan, keep on pushing and things will open up. Yeah. Okay. The other problem I will say we have, yeah, it's a lot of. Uh, Competition. Competition is good, but now there's an unhealthy competition. In, Interesting. In what in, ways? In, in, in ways that you're, you're a professional mm-hmm. and you're competing on people that are not professionals. Okay. You see. So you find, probably, you can have probably like the same menu. You're selling it probably for 30 CDs. Yeah. And then there's another one who okay, sells it for five. Is, yeah. You see. So people who don't, most people who don't understand quality they'll go for. Right. So by the end of the day, you end up probably lowering your Price, standards. Yeah, that you know, okay, yeah, your standards. That kind of so thing, yeah. And the third thing that I might say would be what? Hmm, probably certification from the government, you know. Okay. When you, have, you need to open up like a restaurant and stuff, so many compliance and all that. Yeah, actually, that's a good question. I, when I, and I wonder, maybe that's something to ask other Ghanaians when I speak to them. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's strictly upheld in Ghana because you have so many um, food establishments but I don't know how strict or what the process is if it's a robust process for getting your different certifications I recently spoke to um, a food blogger now Yokimoji, who has a background in food safety yeah. and she said from her experience she doesn't think that a lot of these people have the right um, certifications and so it's good to know that in, in I mean I, I, know, I know it probably hinders business a little bit but at least uh-huh. it's good to know that that's uh, no, that, that, that's one that's actually very much upheld in Kenya. You can't do any startup business 
without having the right okay. paperwork. Yeah, because okay. if you do that, you get shut down. Um, so then let's go back to your second point about quality and standards and pricing. Yeah. Because we talked a lot about that when we did um, Africa Food Week in London recently, yeah. where we talked about pricing quality and, and making sure that our people actually understand what goes goes into the pricing of food. Yeah. So like you said, there's mm-hmm. the standards and the quality that you're upholding. There's yes. also a certain experience that you want the people that are coming to your um, pop-up or yeah, event yeah. to experience, yeah, right? And so true. you're factoring into that let's say 30 CD price point, mm-hmm. not just um, the cost of the ingredients, which is yeah. what people say. They're like, oh my God, I can cook this X in my house for exactly. five CDs, but why are you charging me? Exactly, yeah. why are you charging me? But they don't know that yeah. you, know, you are getting, exactly, you are paying for labor, but then you're also getting higher quality ingredients. There's training that you're using to, to, you know, to include techniques that may not be used by somebody else. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And you mentioned a little bit in terms of competition and, and managing mm-hmm. that. But how do you educate your client base um, and make sure that they understand that you know what you are delivering mm-hmm. is of a different standard than what they would get elsewhere? And so it's worth paying the thirty quote unquote CDs or Kenyan shillings. Yeah. So now that, that's the biggest problem, yeah. the biggest challenge actually in the food industry. Because most, like what you just explained, most people don't understand huh? why would I pay probably three times the amount of money right. and I can use probably less in my own house, you know. But when we do things like pop up, before we come up with a price, there are factors to consider. Right. There's a food cost the food cost uh, factor, there's uh, your markup profit, right. GP. Yeah. There's uh, probably I don't have I don't own my own restaurant. Right. So I have to hire exactly I have to hire maybe a restaurant or yeah. something, yeah. And you know when you come to each other, you're not it's an experience. The experience is not only the food on the table. It's about the ambience. Right. It's about even the chef. You know, it's I'm giving my ideas to right. you guys right. and stuff. So there are a lot of factors to consider. It's not about the ingredients only. Because yeah. you, you might be looking on the ingredient part of it, yeah. But there's the food cost part of it, and there's the GP part of it, the product I'm supposed to make, and there are the other miscellaneous expenses. Like what you say, labor, I need to pay right. people, I need to pay for the space, probably, maybe I've hired one or two things, you know, that kind of a thing. So, to counter that, um, I came to realize I want to be bending down a lot to meet people's targets, because by the end of the day, you keep on running, and by the end of the day, you have nothing taking at home. So I decided, you know what, I think I'll just come up straight, mark up my standards, my prices, my market and everything, and then... The people that value it... Exactly, will come here. So that's what I normally do. Okay. Yeah. All right, that's good. Um, And then on the flip side, what what do you think works well, or Um, is an advantage of working in in Nairobi or in the food business that may not be, you know, in in other circumstances, for example? So we talked about the challenges that you face, but... What are the advantages that you, you found in the Nairobi market and the Kenya market that mm-hmm. people may not know or um, may not understand? I think the most advantage is uh, availability of the raw materials. Oh, that's a really good one. Eh? Exactly, because we have quite diverse ingredients in terms of vegetables, yeah. fruits, meat, and any other thing. Yeah. So I think that, that, that that's uh, an advantage because once availability is high, it means uh, in terms of your costing and prices, at least it's reasonable. It won't go overboard. Right. Yeah. And I and I and, and one of the conversations I had with someone else too for the podcast, we yeah. were talking about how um, we take that for granted in in Africa across uh-huh. the board that we have fresh fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, fresh staples. Fresh where, milk. Exactly. All of that. Fresh, fresh, fresh. Yeah. Where people outside of the continent, you know, 
are importing it from us and you know paying x amount of money for it and now the new trend if you go out there is organic yeah and they're paying three four x for what we get um you know yeah. down the street or down the road so that's that's actually a good point in terms of the advantages that we have um and then now let's switch gears a little bit to talk about the role of social media uh-huh. one how you've used it in promoting your business and mm-hmm. then your thoughts on how it's being used by food bloggers, YouTubers, etc., et to promote African food, generally speaking. Uh, I think social media so far for me is working out well because yeah. I think the reason why we're here is with you, right? Actually, true, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends. It depends on how on what you do with it. Right. If you tend to focus on the right things and push your brand or products or whatever service you're trying to portray out there, there are people, of course, will see and they'll give you business, yeah. yeah? And uh, in terms of uh, visibility, it has given us a lot of uh, advantages. In terms of, I can make my own Kenyan food, take a nice photograph yeah. and post it and share it around. And someone in, uh, let's say, Miami, yeah. a friend of mine in Miami, will like, oh, chef, I saw this, yeah. what is that, you know? So it's a way of also learning from each other because you'll see something could have done, you'll ask, oh, chef, I saw this and this. So tell me, I want to try that. What can I use? You know, same thing. I can see someone doing the same thing probably from Europe. And I ask, oh, yeah, I saw this. Tell me what I can do. So whatever ingredients I have, I'll use. If I don't have, I'll improvise. Okay. If they have this, I can substitute and, you know, and make it happen. But so far, I think social media is playing a good role. Yeah. Only if you use it in the right, right. way. Yeah, just like everything else. Yeah. Um, and then you... I'm a little bit of a celebrity chef in Kenya, from my understanding. <laughs> so you do a lot of TV, TV yeah. work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because um, there's a, there's been a rise in like food TV, yeah. if yeah. you want to call it that, uh-huh. celebrity chefs, if you will. Uh-huh. What do you, what role do you think it plays in sort of your business? Because I recently saw something from um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He's a uh, he's he usually comes up on MasterChef Australia mm-hmm. and he just opened a restaurant yeah. and he there was an article where he was saying that the food critics when they came, they all really liked the food but then mm-hmm. they also all said that they were surprised that the food was good because they see him as a cele- celebrity first, then chef right. second but yeah. meanwhile he, he's like, I'm chef first yeah. so how do you balance that being on TV and cooking and then making sure that you're also still staying true to your, Relevant to to your craft yeah, exactly. okay, you know I would, I would say the same thing the chef said. I'm first of all a chef before a celebrity chef. Because yeah. if, if I wasn't a chef, probably I wouldn't be the second option. Yeah? Yeah. So I think uh, TV, I normally do the shows basically to like uh, make viewers learn and see how you can do good food in your at the comfort of your home okay. so I have like a I have like a name, like a tagline that I normally use on TV it's a simplified professional cooking okay. yeah so I just simplify all the process that we right. go through in a professional kitchen to something shorter that you can actually use it at the comfort of your own home okay. so it's basically showing the people at home you can have a nice steak and you know nice mashed potatoes or nice plantain or whatever without this big hassle. So okay. that, that's basically okay. it, yeah. Okay, all right. 
Um, and then what's next for Chef Lubia's Kitchen? So you do pop-ups, you're consulting, yeah. you do TV. Mm-hmm. If you think about the rest of 2018, 2019 onwards, what, what is your vision or what do you see that's coming up next for Chef Lubia's Kitchen? Uh, as for the moment, I'm trying to... You see, if I'm pushing Afrofusion, huh, I need to understand... The African food. I need to understand what West Africans guys yeah. like. I need to understand South African, you know, Central and everywhere. So at the moment, I'm just trying to travel a lot and learning because it's all about learning. Right. You never stop learning. Yeah. So I always, I want to travel a lot, learn from each and every part of Africa, understand their food culture, so that when the platform is there, if I represent probably Africa in any other right. world or whatever. I can actually and comfortably say this is what you do and you know I have the knowledge and experience yeah. so that's basically it and soon I'm trying to work towards opening up my own restaurant oh, cool. which is basically fine dining but for fusion okay. yeah well, I'll be excited let me know when that comes up because I'm always I, looking for fine African fine dining and there's yeah. not a lot so yeah, that's true. you're definitely looking at the right space I think thank you thank you um, before we transition to the rapid fire questions, can you let us know where people can find you online, social media, what are your handles, what's your website? Oh, okay, so my website is uh, com. That's where you'll find uh, my profile and everything, some of the work that I've done. And on social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook, okay. Chef Rubia, and then okay. you'll find me. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go into the rapid fire segment. Okay. <laughs> the interview. Really so, um, like, if you've been listening now for the last few sessions, you know how this works. I'll ask a question and you just let me know off the top of your head what your answer is. Uh, and is there like a pass? Like another thing? I would prefer not, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, I know. Um, yeah. No. Okay, so let's start. Uh, you've had fufu, right? Yes, While I have. In okay, good. Yeah. So my first question, uh-huh. ugali or fufu? Ah, ugali. <laughs> okay, buffet or a la carte? A la carte. Red wine or white wine? Mm, red wine. Coffee or tea? Tea. Dine-in or take-out? Uh, Dine-in. Are you a morning person or a nice person? Morning person. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. And because you're in Ghana, <laughs> I didn't throw this at you. Ghana Jollof or Niger Jollof? <laughs> uh, Ghana Jollof. I don't want Ghanaians to, you know. <laughs> Ghana Jollof. Okay. Yeah. And then what's your biggest pet peeve? My biggest? Pet peeve. So what, what annoys you the most? What, what is it that people um, do that annoys you? I think not meeting deadlines. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, lastly, what's your favorite African restaurant and why? It can be anywhere in the world. Hmm. Favorite African restaurant. Um, I would probably say Amaika. Okay. It's a restaurant called Amaika. It's in Kenya, yeah? in the leafy suburbs. The good thing is uh, it has a good reputation mm-hmm. for serving and promoting local cuisine. Okay. And even tourists and people from different parts of the world okay. come oh, they really? want to go visit the place okay, so I would say that they do, local, they do so purely local precisely local food alright well that comes that brings us to the end of the interview thank you for your time it's thank been you such a pleasure 
chatting with you and hopefully you can get adjusted to the spicy food. And the weather, the weather. Well, thank you and enjoy your time in Accra. Thank you too. Have a good day. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Item 13, an Essence 13 production. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. To keep up to date on news and events from Essence 13, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Essence and the number 13. Thank you.